We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome, everybody. My name is Andy Herman, and this is the 40th episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. And today, I am joined by an incredibly special guest. He is one of the absolute best analysts and Packer minds out there that you will ever find. Co-founder of Cheesehead TV, former writer for Bleacher Report, social producer and on-air analyst for Sports Illustrated previously, previous reporter at PackersNews.com. He is now back home at Cheesehead TV. You can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Nagler. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Pack-A-Day podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. This has uh, certainly been something that I've really been looking forward to. One of the things I just kind of want to ask you, first of all, I know your story is kind of a, a popular one that's out there, but I'd love to just kind of get your overall story of, I know you you know, kind of grew up in the Appleton area. You went to your first game at the age of three, and and now you're you know back home with Cheesehead TV, which you co-founded. Could just kind of tell me a little bit about your story and, and how you got to where you are today. Oh, well, I don't want to bore your listeners. Uh, I'm sure many of them know the story. But, uh, you know, the real quick 30,000 foot kind of overview is, you know, I was an actor for a long time. I did grow up a Packer fan. And when I got off the road, so to speak, I needed a creative outlet. And I started blogging about football. Uh, It was a website or a blog that was called Aaron Negler's Football Report, which was as boring as you (laughs) are imagining for that title. And, you know, two friends and my dad basically read it. 
Uh, but one of those friends was Corey Benke, a school friend who I'd you know known forever uh, from school in North Carolina. Uh, we were kind of infamous at school for devolving into arguments about the Green Bay Packers at any any event. Any, it didn't matter where we were. That's what we ended up doing is arguing about the Packers. So people would always say, you guys should have your own show or start your own show. So Corey essentially had the idea that that's what we should do. When I moved in, when we both moved to New York, he said we should do a podcast. I had no idea what a podcast was, but that's basically how Cheesehead TV was born. He said, okay, you just keep blogging, but we'll just put it under our, you know, we're going to call it Cheesehead TV. That was entirely his call. Like that was his idea. And that was it. We just kind of, we were there right when Twitter started. So we were right at the social, the start of the social boom and, you know, right place, right time. It just kind of took off and just kept at it, you know, just did it day in and day out until Bleach Report came calling and then Sports Illustrated came calling. And uh, yeah, that was it. Um, and then, like I said, it, it was it, like you intimated. It was a it was a passion and uh, something I always did. And I, I loved it. And it became a, a career. So, you know, fairy tales sometimes happen. Yeah, it's an incredible story. I think, as you mentioned, one that a lot of people are very familiar with and a lot of people are very envious of in a way as well. Uh, I literally had somebody reach out to me on Twitter yesterday. We were talking a little bit, uh, just totally random person. He's like, I, you know, when I grow up, I want to be exactly like Aaron Nagler. It's a 16-year-old kid. and This poor child. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, uh, I, I told him, go the exact opposite direction. No, I'm just that's kidding. A, that's a wise call. Yes. <laughs> No, but I, I've, I've heard that multiple times. So it's a cool story. You know, recently you did an interview for your podcast with Brian Gutekunst. And that's something I kind of wanted to follow up with you on. Is that kind of a moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I went from this, you know, Packers blogger, you know, doing Packer <laughs> transplants with one of my best friends to now literally interviewing the general manager of the Green Bay Packers. You know what? It, it wasn't, it wasn't that what you're like, kind of the feeling you're getting there. It, what That wasn't it. The moment... I'll tell you when that happened was when I got to interview Mike McCarthy for the first time when I little I got like I think 10 minutes with him uh one on one off to the side of the combine okay. and I was sitting there in the hallway with my Zoom, you know, microphone whatever and asking him questions and it was a total out of body experience. It was an awful interview because I forgot everything I wanted to ask him because I was so like kind of like literally watching myself from outside. And this was, you know, years ago, like five, six years ago. And I thought the, exactly what you're talking about there. I, I kept thinking about, you know, the, the whole impetus for this career, this thing I'm doing started because, you know, like I had, like I said, I, I had got off the road and I needed something to do that was creative. And I, I, you know, was passionate about the Packers. I, I had, you know, watched them all my life. I've been a huge football fan all my life. I, I devoured everything I could ever learn about football. And I just kind of needed an outlet. And so that's what I chose. And I often joke with some of my friends here in New York who are bloggers who like kind of did the same kind of thing, but in other on other avenues. Like there's a guy I know who's a movie blogger who gets invited to all these premieres. And I'm always like, you know, I should have gone down that road. Like, gotten invited to all the premieres and hobnob with movie stars but uh it's you know it's great and then that moment was the mike like interviewing mike mccarthy for the first time it was surreal but the gutekunst interview i gotta be honest at that point i felt like this is what i'm supposed to be doing sure. you know what i mean like i worked for the local outlet i had a podcast you know 
they were one of few the few local outlets remaining that still cover the Packers on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, the general manager should talk to the local paper. You know what I mean? So sure. that it, talking to Goody Guns was it was great and it was really kind of a total 180 from where we were with the general manager prior the last 13 years. You know, Ted Thompson coming on my podcast was never going to happen. But that uh, would have yeah, been epic. That would have been epic. And I still kind of, you know, tease uh, the guys in Packers PR that I want to make that happen, but clearly it never will. But yeah, no, Gutekunst was very much, you know, it, it was he was lovely and he couldn't have been more gracious and he answered all my questions and I thought he was really engaged and really with it. But at that point, it was very much, you know, this is my job and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Gotcha. I kind of want to pivot there. Well, first of all, I want to ask when you interviewed McCarthy for the first time in his 10 minutes, did he give you any great McCarthyisms? Was, was that uh, No, you know what's funny is that when you, and you will hear this from anybody on the beat. When you get McCarthy one-on-one, even in an interview setting where it's you're still on the record, he's he he completely changes. He relaxes. He's very different than – he'll still give you like a little kind of, you know, coach talks sheen over whatever it is he's talking about because he's not going to give too much information away. But he's, he's very different in a one-on-one setting. Like everything you see at the podium is very much – and he has talked about this – uh, you know, boring by design. He doesn't want to make any waves. He doesn't want to cause any problems. Uh, and that's why the entire episode last year where he kind of lashed out after the Colin Kaepernick question was so out of character. But, you know, that when you get him one-on-one or, or even especially when, you know, your, your recorder's off and you're just talking, two guys, uh, he's hilarious. And he's it, it really engaging and really fun. But, yeah, when... When he's at the podium, he's very he's a very different creature. But you know, one on one, just talking to him, he you know he didn't give us he didn't give me any classic kind of you know polluted mindsets or <laughs> or positives or anything like that. But he, he was he was great. He was just it was two guys talking football. Yeah, I've had a chance to meet him a couple times. I'm sure you've probably seen some of the Cellcom Challenge commercials that he's done. Oh, I have. They are epic. They are, yeah. those are those are fantastic. Yeah, so I work for Cellcom. That's my my day job, and uh, he he's spoken at our company meetings a couple times, and I've been lucky enough to meet him a couple times. And he he's a really fantastic guy, and, and exactly as you described him. So that doesn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form. You know, one of the things I also want to touch on, you, you kind of talked about with the Gutekunst interview where, you know, it was part of your job. It made sense for him to come on. You know, has this ever become, this is obviously being a Packer fan has been a passion of yours for a very long time. Has there ever been a point where you've gotten so serious with it that it's become a job and your passion is kind of waned because you had to do it from a you know nine to five, you know, grinding every day, doing this type of stuff, you know, kind of for the Packers? Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. You know, it's the travel. The travel is what really killed me. It really sucked the life out of it. It's one thing to be doing it from your ho- your home and or in the studio even when I, you know, was working at Bleacher Report or uh, Sports Illustrated here in New York. But when you're at LaGuardia every Saturday morning and not seeing your kids for, you know, every weekend from September through January usually, uh, I, I specifically remember a Facebook Live chat that I did when they were in the midst of running the table, so to speak, a couple of years ago, you know, there was an instance where I literally said on air, I re- I'm really hoping they lose. And that's, I mean, hell, you know, as someone who, as we've said, I grew up a monster Packers fan and then I've been obsessed with the team my entire life. But for those words to escape my mouth, I was like, 
I, I, I do. I really hope they lose because I didn't want to be on the road anymore. I didn't want to be away from my kids, you know, waking up, you know, every kind of weekend in either a hotel or in my parents' house in Wisconsin. It sucked, man. Yeah. You know, after a while, it just gets old. So that was the big, that was the hardest part. I mean, the, the rest of it, you know, as far as like having to create content or, you know, the job itself was fine. It was easy. It's like, there are a billion jobs in the world that I would hate. That was not one of them. You know sure. what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, I literally got to watch football and talk about it for a living and write about it. Like, how hard is that? Like, right. if you complain about that, you got issues. Right. But it, it really was the travel and, and get, being away from my family for extended periods of time. Uh, that just and, and the other thing, the guys on the beat were, you know, were great about this and they recognized it. It's it's one thing if you live in the town where the team plays, because then you're only gone, you know, eight weeks out of the year. The other eight weeks, they're home games and you're there for me living in New York City. Well, I'm gone every single week, you know, and that, like I said, that just became a grind. And that's what made it a job. You know what I mean? And like a real it was and that just kind of wore me down after a while. No, that, that makes total sense. And, and kind of transitioning there, you know, you're now back with Cheesehead TV. Obviously, as a Cheesehead TV writer myself, we're incredibly excited to have you. I know Packer Transplants returns this Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central. What are your plans now that you're back with Cheesehead TV? And what are some of your bigger goals now that you're back with us, I guess I'll say? Well, you know, I've, Corey and I were talking a lot when I was kind of hemming and hawing and thinking about leaving my position at Gannett. And, you know, Corey and I both think that Cheesehead TV, it's the greatest independent Packers blog in the world. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But we both feel that there's a lot of untapped potential. And it's funny because you guys doing starting this podcast, starting Pack-A-Day and things of that nature, it just showed us that the passion is there and there are people, you know, really excited about the content. And we just thought there was a lot of untapped potential as far as, where we could still like cheese TV started as two guys kind of hanging out, you know what I mean? Talking Packers. That was it. But we think there's unlimited potential when you just think about where it could go. I don't think we've come close to scratching the surface of what we could do with this website. So uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, we're going to, we're going to ramp up the video side. We're going to, we're going to obviously spread it far and wide and hopefully uh, you know, Eventually, it's going to be, you know, NFL Network is going to be featuring us and that it'll be great. Can't wait. That's fantastic. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I first had this insane, crazy idea to put together this podcast, I reached out to people to see who might be interested. And I was expecting, you know, maybe three to five people who would be interested. And I'd go through a couple auditions and, we, we, you know, maybe we'd have you know, a couple people, you know, duplicating every day and, and things of that nature. And all of a sudden I was flooded with about 200 different people and really, really talented people that I had never heard of, that I'd never interacted with. And it just shook me to see all of these insane, passionate, talented Packer personalities and bloggers and writers and podcasters. And, and you know, I'm so blessed to have 20 of them with me on, on this team for the Pack-A-Day podcast, but you see it at Cheesehead TV, you see it all over the place and the passion's certainly not going anywhere. And the talent of the people that are out there is incredible as well. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen at Cheesehead TV as well. Oh, that's the thing too. I just, all you got to do is look at like the website right now, right? Like the idea that we've got everything up to date, all the news that may have happened over the weekend is totally covered. We, we've got videos, we've got uh, a salary cap breakdown. 
You know, we've got reactions from the 53-man roster. It's like anything you could ever want as a Packers fan is there. So I, I just love it. I just love the passion, and I love, like you said, the kind of – it is kind of – it kind of blows me away every time I think about it when you're looking at all the people involved, and they all do it because they're obsessed with the team. I, yep. just, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. No, I couldn't agree more. So let's let's talk a little bit. Obviously, there's been a great deal of Packer news kind of over the weekend. The tentative 53-man roster is set, is set. They finalized eight of the 10 practice squad positions today. Joel Buonio, I was avoiding that name my entire <laughs> And finally, I had yeah, to say it. Yeah, I, I, never, I never say it right. <laughs> Austin Davis, Kendall Donerson, Joe Carriage, Tyler Lancaster, James Looney, Greer Martini, Adam Pankey, those were the eight that they've announced so far. What are your just general thoughts on how they put together the 53-man roster, the practice squad, thoughts over the weekend as a whole? Well, it's interesting because obviously I think the headline coming out of the initial 53 is the eight wide receivers. I think a lot of people glommed onto that for good reason. I mean, yeah. that's just not something that gets done a whole lot. But this is a team, you know, obviously Gutekunst learned at the foot of Ted Thompson. And Ted's mantra, and McCarthy has kind of echoed this throughout the years, is we want the best 53 football players. Now, you know, what you and I can differ or argue about who those 53 might be, but, you know, it's Gutekunst's call. And in his eyes, these those eight wide receivers deserve to be on that team more than, say, Ahmad Thomas or whoever. So, yeah, when you look at it like that, obviously kind of strikes you. A lot's been written and said about the moving on, so to speak, from Ted Thompson's draft picks. Um, which I think is, you know, very fair and I think is promising, actually, when you look at how kind of merciless Gutekunst was. I think, you know, some of the surprises yesterday, the big one, I think, for a lot of people was Vince Beagle being cut. But to me, you know, hey, I, I didn't agree with that evaluation. I would have kept him over Kyler Fackrell because I think we've seen everything we're ever going to see from Fackrell. And I think there's still potential growth in Vince Beagle. But to uh, Gutekunst's size, apparently, you know, they know exactly what they have in Beagle, and they didn't, they didn't need it, and they didn't see the ceiling. So this idea that they weren't going to be precious about it, I think is promising. Now, how much of that is him moving on from Ted's picks, and how much of that is him just being brutally honest with what's presented on tape? Because, you know, to me, I think they could easily have cut guys like Equiminius St. Brown and got them on the practice squad if they had wanted to. You know, I just think there are instances like that where I would dif- I would differ with the evaluation. But I think it's promising that there there's a guy at the helm who clearly isn't going to be beholden to any sacred cows and is going to you know go with the evaluation that he has, regardless of you know, draft status, what have you. Yeah, and he certainly didn't show, you know, they were later on picks, but with cutting Kendall Donerson and, you know, James Looney, you know, he showed that he wasn't going to show favor to, you know, just his draft picks either. So uh, I thought that was promising. I thought he put together a team that that did focus upon the the 53 that were best that showed up. I didn't think there was anyone that cut where if I went back and I said, you know, go watch his tape. He's, he was awesome this, this preseason and he should have been, you know, kept because. No, oh, absolutely not. That's the thing that, I mean. I don't see anybody who they're going to like really rue the day. I mean, I think yes, last year you could see it with Reggie Gilbert when they went out and got Odom, that was a little head scratching, but this year, and Hey, look, I mean, they had four undrafted rookies make the squad. That is an outstanding calling card next April when they're calling guys like towards the end of the seventh round, when the great rush starts to try and get undrafted free agents to come to your camp. That's a great calling card. You know what I mean? Like you can tell agents, Hey, Come out to Green Bay. 
you're going to have a chance to actually make the roster rather than be just a camp body someplace else. Yeah, and I think it was since 2003, I want to say, they've had a, an undrafted player make the team ever since that yep. point, once every yep. season. So, no, that's that's a huge thing when you're able to talk to agents right after the draft is over. And they do a great job of bringing a lot of those guys in, the undrafted free agents for the, the draft visits and not using those just for draftable guys as well. So exactly. they do a great job with that. James Crawford, I know a guy that a lot of people are talking about. Obviously, he made his, his name on special teams, especially in that fourth preseason game. They brought that up a lot today. Uh, Brian Gutekunst did specifically. The thing that really shocked me most when I went back and looked at it, only 40 snaps played the entire preseason for James Crawford. Uh, That was on defense. Obviously, he played more on special teams, but only 40 snaps played 17 in week four alone. You know, what did you see from James Crawford? Is that a major surprise for you? Is this just a special teams player? That's the reason he's there for. Yeah, a billion percent. That is exactly it. And as Gutekunst said in his press conference today, you know, it was the best special teams performance they'd seen in years. And look, every once in a while, you need a guy who's like a crazed dog. You know what I mean? Who's an absolute kamikaze. Who's a Tasmanian devil. (laughs) Whatever, however you want to categorize it. But you need somebody who's a little crazy and who's ready to get down there and destroy some people. And he fits the bill. Like Ahmad Thomas, Greer Martini, they're just a dime a dozen kind of players. And now the... You know, I get that Martini had been running on first team special teams for a good long while in camp. But look, you just have to turn on that performance in Kansas City and look at some of his other special teams work to know this guy has a complete disregard for human life, basically. You know what I mean? And you need that. You need that on special teams. And that is something they've been missing big time. And I think that's where that's an area where Ted Thompson has kind of left them out to dry the last couple of years. Like you need a couple junkyard dogs. We're going to go down there and just light people up. And he absolutely fits that bill. I don't think, you know, if he has to play from scrimmage, yeah, they're probably in trouble. But the only way he's playing from scrimmage is if like there are three car wrecks and a plane crash, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, so he is there specifically to just light people up on teams. And I think he's going to be great in that regard. A while back, I went to a scouting class, and one of the people who was, in, uh, the, I guess, a professor, if you will, was Mark Dominic, who the, the former GM. Right. Yeah. And when I talked when I talked to him, he said that certain organizations will allow their special teams coach basically four roster positions. Mm-hmm. They'll say you can keep four people, you can keep any four people you want. Obviously, one of them is going to be a kicker, a long snapper, and a punter, but they let them keep one special teams player, regardless of position, because of just their special teams prowess. And I'm not saying that's what happened here, but it, you know, he showed enough. It's possible. Possibility. It's very yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah. So it, he showed enough that he can kind of be that guy. Like you said, plays with his hairs, like his hairs on fire and he's going to go out. And I, I think his versatility as well. I know he's, again, we don't want to see him on the field, but uh, the ability to play some inside linebacker, a little bit of outside linebacker if, if needed. Yep. You know, if he's going to be active uh, on roster for game day because of his special teams ability, the more he can do as a backup player, the better. And the fact he can fill in a couple of those positions, I think, helps him a lot as well. One hundred percent. One other player I just wanted to quickly touch base on that I thought was kind of a surprise was Alex Light. 6'5", 287 only out of Richmond. He's obviously put on a little weight since then. Did a lot of blocking for Kyle Laletta, who's now with the Giants. Uh, played left tackle there. When I watched his tape originally way earlier in the offseason, I thought he played with a little bit of nasty. I thought he anchored pretty well, even though he was only at 287. I noted immediately he needs to add a lot of functional strength, and I thought for sure, even from that point, that he was kind of destined for a practice squad spot. But they thought even more of him than that by adding him to the 53-man roster. Thoughts on Alex Light making the team? 
Well, it's funny because you say maybe they thought more of him by putting him on the roster, but I think that just speaks to the lack of depth there. But, you know, hey, that's no different than 31 other cities in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like this day and age, I I was funny enough, I talked to David Bakhtiari about this on my podcast last week. It's just the offensive line play around the NFL has gotten suspect and downright bad. Uh, And that's that. And we're talking starters now. So when you get a guy who, like you say, has a little bit of nasty and as shown, I would say, uh, you know, promise when it comes to technique, when it comes to being able to grow, even from the beginning of camp to now, you got to hold on to those guys. And I don't think there's any question that if they kept him on the 53, they had a pretty good feeling that if they were to try and get him on the practice squad, someone would have taken him. Because look, if you get anybody, I mean, anybody out on the street that has even you know, a hint of ability and pass protection, they're going to get gobbled up because people are so desperate at this point because offensive line play has gotten so poor all the way around the league that I think, yeah, I think they just, they, they saw a guy that, again, I don't suspect he'll ever see the field this year. I don't think he'll dress, you know, outside of a a rash of injuries, but you know, the promise was too good to uh, kind of risk uh, letting him hit the street. No, I think that makes a ton of sense, and I'm on the exact same page. I don't expect him to dress for any games, but, again, someone who can play a little bit of tackle, a little bit of guard potentially, he has some versatility as well, and that could help him long term. But I I think you're spot on in the fact that this is a guy who shows potential. When you get a guy with potential at edge rusher, tackle, or or quarterback, you keep them. And I thought both with Tim Boyle and Alex Light, they kept two players who have long-term potential, and they're going to give him a shot to develop at two very important positions. So we'll see how both of those players turn out. I know you've kind of been around the team a lot. I just want to get your quick thoughts on anyone that you think is on pace for a breakout season this upcoming year. You know, I don't think there's anybody that would surprise anyone. I think Devontae Adams is going to continue to uh, excel and or kind of skyrocket. And I know that's, you know, Devontae Adams, everyone knows. Yeah, he's he's going to be the number one wide receiver. It's not that surprising. But I don't think there's anybody you could point to, like Kenny Clark. I, I've been saying forever, he's going to be a star. And I think this is the year he finally takes off in that regard. I mean, maybe not quite Geno Atkins level, but close to it. it those, those, you know, those guys who I think are on the precipice. But to me, Devontae Adams, now that he is the unquestioned number one, he's going to be kind of the first read in a lot of the, a lot of the stuff they like to do. I, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. And it's so funny when I get asked about this a lot on Twitter – in comparison to the rest of the league and their number ones, he gets diminished because he's not as physical. Uh, His attributes maybe don't measure up testing wise, but I'm here to tell you, he is an absolute technician and he is going to get fed. You know, I know Jimmy Graham's in town. I know, you know, there are some other options, but Devontae Adams is in for a monster year. I don't think people quite appreciate how he's about to explode onto the NFL tapestry. No, I agree 100%. I thought early in the season last year when Rodgers was on the field with him that Rodgers was still looking to Jordy Nelson a little bit on some of those key third downs. A billion percent, especially in the red zone. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then as soon as he kind of got that trust in Devontae and realized what he was doing, he got hurt. And then it it was kind of all over. And he still put up you know, pretty impressive numbers, especially with Brett Hundley at quarterback. And I think you're hundred percent correct with, with those two playing together with Devontae now at kind of the, the height of his powers with what he's capable of playing with Aaron Rodgers. I think those two are going to absolutely explode together. Last but not least, Khalil Mack is coming to green Bay, at least for one week this week. <laughs> 
And uh, right. as a member of the Bears, what are your thoughts on Mac being a Chicago Bear? What effort, if any, Green Bay put in towards acquiring him? And if you think that uh, Gutekunst should have tried to even go over the top of what Chicago offered to try to bring him to Green Bay. You know, it's funny because reading my friend Pete Doherty's column uh, over at Packers News this morning, you know, he's got conflicting reports in regards to what the Packers offered. You know, obviously one source told him that it was two first-round picks. Another source says it was a first-round pick and other picks, but not both firsts. So we don't really know, as far as I can tell, as far, maybe you've read something else, but I, as far as I know, we don't know for sure what was on offer. Correct. But, but it sure sounds like there was a legit push to try and get Mac. And that's knowing that they were going to have to sign him to a monster deal. I mean, a ridiculous deal. We saw now that, you know, the Bears have signed him to a six-year, $140 million something deal. So, you know, that's the neighborhood of what they were looking at. And the idea that well, I've heard from various fans that, you know, Gutekunst didn't try or he didn't blah, 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 blah. He left like, that's so ridiculous. This guy absolutely tried but wasn't, you know, ready to just kind of give three firsts or whatever to get one player who, by the way, has sat out for so long, is a classic you know, possibility that he could hit the field and get injured like within the first month because for he sure. hasn't been in camp. He hasn't been working out with the team. I mean, it's one thing to come to the spring workouts and then hold out, but this guy's been they haven't he has had no contact with the football field and the Raiders organization since December, January last year. So, you know, Gutekunst, he obviously was in the mix. The, the Bears, and here's the other kind of you know, piece of this that I think a lot of people are dismissing, but I think is very real, is John Gruden's, and don't you know ever get it twisted, this is absolutely Gruden's doing, John Gruden's kind of assessment of where the Packers' picks might be next spring and the Bears' picks might be. And once, I feel, once you know Gruden knew the Bears were in the mix and they were willing to give up what they were willing to give up, he was zeroed in on them. He said, okay, we're going to deal with these guys, not the Packers, because, look, the Bears have had this extended recent history of you know not being very good, and that means their picks are going to be worth a heck of a lot more than the Packers' picks. So I think you know, Gutekunst did what he could up to a point, uh, but when it became clear that you know the, the Bears were serious and they were willing to give up a whole lot, I think Gruden kind of had blinders on, and that's, that's the path that it took. And, you know, these people that I see in my inbox and in my mentions uh, kind of lambasting Gutekunst for not doing enough, I think is a little silly. No, I totally agree. I, I thought that the fact that he was in the conversation, the fact that they were willing to give up seemingly some top picks and willing to give him potentially the highest paid defensive player you know, contract in the league shows that they were being aggressive. It didn't happen. And it's a, it's a bummer that he's in Chicago. But you know, I agree with absolutely everything that you said. And, I, you know, Reggie McKenzie basically brought up the fact that when they got offers from over half the teams in the league, they narrowed it to teams that they thought would have a top potentially 10 pick in the draft next year. And, and that obviously with either New Orleans pick or with Green Bay's pick was not going to be a top 10 pick, especially now that the, you know, even if one of those top quarterbacks goes down, maybe Green Bay's could become it if Rodgers went down early, but now the Saints have Teddy Bridgewater backing up. So right. you, you would, you would assume that the Saints are going to be picking, you know, 16 or better almost for sure. And that there's a good chance the Packers are the exact same way. So uh, that's what they were looking for. And, and Green Bay didn't have that to offer. So you can, you try, you get yourself involved in the conversations, 
times and sometimes it doesn't work out. We'll see if that's for better or worse as time goes on. But just like the fact he was in the conversation and ultimately like the decision that he made to, to try to not up it any more than it was already at. I will say though, you know, it's funny that Ryan Pace has really kind of, it's funny when you look, you think about how bad the bears have been, right? And he's a GM. He fired the coach or they fired the coach. He's got his new coach, right? And now he's made this, he's swung this huge deal for one of, if not the best defensive player in the league. Like how, like if this doesn't work out for the bears, they're, they're back to square one again. Yeah. In less than like two years. Like I just, I get that he's swinging for the fences. He's trying to save his job, but wow. I mean, that's, you know, the bears are either going to like rise like a Phoenix from the ashes, or they're going to absolutely crash and burn. Yeah, if Trubisky doesn't turn out, they've got no first or second round pick next year, no first round pick the following year. They do have two seconds that year, but it's not like they have any ammunition to try to go and get a quarterback. And as we know, this is a quarterback driven league. And if he flames out and doesn't you know, produce the way that's needed, they're just going to be Jacksonville at best, where they've got a, a really good supporting cast, but they don't have the quarterback to get him over the top. So, Hey, but to be fair, Jacksonville was in the AFC championship game last year, and that's sure. pretty much the calling card for Ted Thompson the last you know, three or four years as they could get to the NFC championship game, then not close the deal. So we'll see if Jacksonville can like extend this run, but you know, the bears are just a, to me, it's just funny how they completely, they keep doing this, right? Like the, the Jay Cutler trade. I remember when that happened and everyone's like, Oh, the bears are back and they're (laughs) going to win the division. And, Oh, I got in a huge back and forth on Twitter with Greg Bedard about it back in the day. Like, oh, this is it. This is, this is swinging the the pendulum completely to the Bears when it comes to the rivalry. And, of course, we all know how that played out. Jay Cutler became one of the best quarterbacks for the Packers in the history of the, in the, history of the league. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very anxious for week one to roll around is essentially what I'm saying. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic game. Aaron, I could do this for at minimum another three days consecutive without stopping. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, you know, so thankful for you coming and joining. I appreciate it greatly. I'm really excited for you to be back at Cheesehead TV and, and to kind of be working with you in that capacity. Um, you can follow Aaron, of course, at Aaron Nagler on Twitter. Packer Transplants will be back this Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central. You are not going to want to miss that first episode. I know I will be absolutely tuning in. Uh, Thank you again so much for coming. This has been fantastic. And I also just want to give you a sincere thank you for all that you've done. The the Daily Buzz feature that you did uh, at your last position was absolutely amazing and uh, really giving a voice to a lot of people in the the Packers blogosphere uh, that uh, maybe didn't always get it. You continue to do that on Twitter by retweeting a lot of people in that same blogosphere. Uh, you know, in the, in the Packers community as a whole, I think you do a tremendous job overall for the, the Packers brand and for a, a lot of the, the people out there that maybe don't always have the largest voice. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Anything else you wanted to add today? Not at all. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, like you said, be there for transplants, five Eastern, four Central on Wednesday. It's going to be a hoot. Thanks, don't Andy. Miss, don't miss it. Thanks so much. Uh, follow us at on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Uh, You can find us on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere else you can find great podcasts. Subscribe, like, review. That helps us a ton. And as always, go Pack Go and a lot of ball game left. Six seconds to go. Ball just outside the four. Roger Shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! Touchdown! Aaron pointing.
Pass out of the end zone. Leaping right yes. to from the 42 New York, fourth down and two. Snapped A-Rod. Looking downfield, scrambles right. Now, winds up, rainbows, into the end zone. It is 